0: Vince Vaughn's a psychopath. I am 100% convinced that is the only thing that makes sense. Otherwise, Vince Vaughn is just uh, bumbling through this movie, causing people's deaths, and nobody is noticing. Hey
1: everyone, welcome to Adapted for Your Viewing. My name is David, and I watch too many movies.
0: And my name is Amanda, and I read too many books. We are Brother and Sister, and this is our podcast for nerds where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on and tell you which one is worth consuming.
1: Yep. And today we will be talking about The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Yes, Mm -hmm. that is the actual title, (laughs) uh, including the 1995 novel by Michael Crichton and the 1997 adapted film directed by Steven Spielberg.
0: That's right. Uh, We're assuming you're familiar, but in case you need it, here is the 60-second summary. Uh, So the setups and the plots for this movie and book, despite them being a direct adaptation, are surprisingly super different. Uh, So this summary is going to be more vague than we usually do. Uh, So four or so years after the events of Jurassic Park, Ian Malcolm, who is somehow alive, uh, travels to Isla Sorna, which is an island next to Isla Nublar, and the site, B for in-gen scientists. And those were the guys who were artificially growing all the dinosaurs. We thought they were doing it on Isla Nublar. Turns out they were actually doing it on Site B. And them over. Psych, everything you saw in that lab was fake. It's all <laughs> a lie. <laughs> it's all a lie. And they were experimenting and growing tons of dinosaurs, and only the pretty dinosaurs got to go to the park. Um so as soon as in-gen shut down, um, all the dinosaurs were either ran away or escaped or were set loose or something like that, but basically they're all living on this island, now self-contained, and our heroes have to go back to that island for different reasons, but they all end up on that island. Uh, there's a lot of deaths, a frantic escape, there are some InGen guys stealing dinosaur eggs or dinosaurs, um... And then at the end of one, there is a T-Rex in San Diego.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that comes a little out of left field when you (laughs) say it like that.
0: It's, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like it's one movie, and then it becomes another in the last 15 minutes. So Yeah,
1: yeah. We'll get into that, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what was your first experience with this sequel to Jurassic Park, David?
1: Uh, You mean Lost World colon Jurassic Park.
0: Well, I said the sequel to Jurassic Park, but yes. Okay,
1: whatever. All right. Yeah, I'm being semantic already.
0: Jurassic Park.
1: Uh, That's what we get when we record these first thing in the morning. (laughs) I'm just going to be super, super picky. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'll say that this like unlocked unconscious memories. I mean, so did the original Jurassic (laughs) Park. It's like watching these movies brings me back to my childhood. And watching movies that I wasn't allowed to watch at the time. And I remember watching this before I saw the original Jurassic Park Mm -hmm. and watching this at Christmas. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I was a kid. So, like, I just probably thought the dinos were really cool. I didn't even, like, register in my mind some of the weird things about this movie.
0: I imagine, like, being, like, young – would have been like the perfect way to see this movie because you're just there for like the action and the surprises and the dinosaur trampling
1: yeah i'm really not there for any of the expectations that i put on michael Crichton or steven spielberg to do better in this film so (laughs) you know maybe that's the ideal way to watch these movies (laughs) uh but amanda what was your first experience with this
0: yeah, I actually don't remember the first time I watched this movie. I think for a long time, you know, I've seen Jurassic Park 1 so many times. And I think for a long time, I didn't know there were sequels somehow. Or I thought, I think I maybe I knew about them, but I knew they were bad. So I just didn't watch them. And then I finally did. And it still had to be probably a decade ago that I watched it for the first time. Yeah. And I had, you know, when we decided to do this one, I had this idea of what the movie was about that I was wrong about. Like I had for some reason in my mind, I remembered this movie being about um, I thought Ian Malcolm and Sarah Harding were exes. I thought that was an ex-wife of his and that Sarah's new boyfriend was Vince Vaughn. And that he was going to the island because he was jealous, basically. Like that was like narrative <laughs> and, and planted in my brain.
1: <laughs> Maybe it was like your uh, like high school brain creating a love triangle where there it might wasn't have been.
0: One. I don't know. I don't know how I got that in my head because then when I rewatched it, I mean, we read the book and I was like, oh, none of this is in there. They're actually together. And then I started watching the movie and in the beginning she is his actual like he she's his girlfriend actively like they're in an active relationship and so i was like well maybe i don't i must have been totally off and then i started watching and i'm like no, I get it from like the body. Maybe I wasn't paying attention to the dialogue, but I was paying attention to the body language of everybody on stage, <laughs> and that's where I got it from.
1: <laughs> you know, Vince Vaughn is just like one of those people that if you don't pay attention to, he will steal your girl. and Apparently. You gotta I pay like attention he was to him.
0: Definitely. Her. He was definitely trying to do that on this movie. I,
1: it's funny you say that because I believe that Steven Spielberg brought Vince Vaughn in just because he watched him in Swingers. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs>
0: So maybe yeah, he's just coming it.
1: right like hot off his swingers performance. Maybe Steven Spielberg directed him. He's like, more swingers.
0: Not <laughs> swingers. Yeah. So uh, are you ready for some book facts?
1: Yeah, I'm already talking about some movie facts. So why don't yeah. you give yep, me some I'm book in. facts?
0: Uh, so The Lost World was the only book sequel that Michael Crichton ever wrote before he died in 2008. Um, And he was super reluctant to write a sequel at all, but did so because everybody loved Jurassic Park so much. You know, the book came out around the same time as the movie, so there was a ton of demand for a sequel. Uh, And so he was worried about recreating, like, the magic of the first one while telling a different story. And I think you can see that struggle a little bit when you read the book. Um, But he he went through it and he was – he didn't write another one, so maybe that's why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, maybe you can tell, tell when reading something.
0: this. Yeah, He uh, he did kill off Ian Malcolm, like decidedly. I know that we talked about him. and we were like, did he die? Yes, he did die. Yes, he died. And yes, officially, he absolutely died in the story. And so he just decided to bring him back. He really wanted Ian Malcolm back for the second book. He's like, I can't do this without Ian. And so he just brought him back. And there's like a first chapter in the book where he's just like, yep, he's alive. He, he was dead, but now he's alive.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was just like, I don't feel like explaining this to you guys. Just yeah. like, wave my magic wand. I make a picture in my head. <laughs> yes. It, it is real. Just believe it.
0: Yes. And it's a, I thought it would bother me, but it is actually kind of a funny like meta joke in there in the beginning before like everybody was doing that. So hats off to Michael Crichton. He made it work. Um But some people suspect that that move was inspired by Sherlock Holmes coming back. He's a big Arthur Conan Doyle fan um, and, in fact, named this book after Doyle's book by the same name. Um, And so maybe that's where it came from. I don't know if I believe that 100%. Maybe he was just like, oh, you know, Doyle did it, so I'm going to do it too. And they both got away with it. Sure, Um, why not? But that's why this movie title has such a funny name to it because producers were worried that if they just had The Lost World, people would think that is it is an Arthur Conan Doyle movie instead of a sequel. So that's why it's The Lost World colon Jurassic Park instead of just like Jurassic Park 2 like normal movies are called.
1: How many normies in the 90s were such Arthur Conan Doyle fans that they so would have mixed that up?
0: <laughs> I totally thought the exact same thing because, uh, you know, I, here in, um, you know, the, the future of 2019, we don't care that much about it. future. But they actually made a TV series called The Lost World too, um, in the 90s. And so apparently it was something that people were thinking about. All
1: right, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, I mean, it's yeah. still a dumb way of doing a title. Like, why wasn't it mm-hmm. Jurassic Park: Colon Lost World? That why would was it the other it way. A little
0: around? bit. Is, I think because they thought of it last minute. It feels like a last minute
1: tack on. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I can believe it. Yeah. It's funny that you say he uh, like was inspired by Sherlock Holmes because I can't see Ian Malcolm as Sherlock Holmes. It's like comparing in my yes like movie and TV show brain. It's like comparing Jeff Goldblum. To Benedict Cumberbatch, I was just going to say it's like, that. Yes. <laughs> it's just two completely different people.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't be super surprised if Benedict Bumbly Badge could do a really good Jeff Goldblum impression.
1: Oh, that's all I want. Now, let's mm, I'm not going to I was going to do a bit where I pretend to do a British accent. That's pretending oh, no, to do Jeff Goldblum.
0: Not. No, I'm not going to. That's uh,
1: pretty, No, we all know my accents are good. Oh, I'm not going to show the audience my accents just yet.
0: Or maybe you should.
1: OK, I'm going to move on to movie facts now. <laughs> <laughs> so just like Michael Crichton, Steven Spielberg doesn't do a lot of sequels. He's not a big fan of sequels, just doesn't do them very much. The only other time he's ever done one was Indiana Jones. And it worked Mm -hmm. out for like two of them and didn't work out for one of them. (laughs) Uh, But there was a lot of pressure on Steven Spielberg because this came after a short hiatus from him in the 90s. And he was, you know, really big in the 90s. So it was weird for the biggest director to go on a hiatus like this. Uh, And he really felt the pressure on this one. He said that he uh, was really anxious and he was set back a little bit just because he felt like he was making a big silent roar movie. Uh, and I think you could of, tell he's yeah. just kind of a little bit less Spielbergian in this yeah. movie, I would say.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh,
1: for the movie, though, this this is wild. This is this is the wild fact. Uh, they created a special device for this movie uh, where strobe lights would go off in the theater uh, to, like, certain markers in the film. So whenever there was, like, a big flash, (laughs) like, let's say there's lightning or something, the strobes would flash, okay?
0: Seems like Uh, a fun, expensive thing to do.
1: Yeah, picture you're in a nice, dark movie theater, super dark, your eyes are well-adjusted, and then all of a sudden, someone hits you with a camera flash. (laughs) I'm sure everyone would love that experience. But uh, after installing these strobe lights, they realized there was no good place to put it in the movie. Perfect. It's <laughs> it's like, it kind of reminds me of when- they did it after they
0: installed it. They double checked.
1: <laughs> they just didn't think ahead. It reminds me of when they first came out with 3D movies, but they yeah. didn't have, they weren't like filming 3D movies right. in 3D. right. And so it was. So just they had like, to have like
0: really gimmicky things where things were reaching out at the screen to you.
1: And yeah, it it's like, like
0: twice. <laughs> do you remember?
1: <laughs> oh, what is a uh, Spy Kids movie? It was the Spy Kids 3D movie. Yeah. I do specifically remember seeing that in 3D. It happened quite a lot. Thinking it was the hottest trash.
0: <laughs> Even when you were like 12, and that was supposed to be your jam. Yeah, it was not. Is it because you were secretly all about Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and that was the only movie you were gonna give your heart to?
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, why would you give oh, your obviously. heart to anything else? Yeah.
0: Yeah, obviously.
1: <laughs> uh, last movie fact, and this is one that actually gets me riled up. Uh, the screenwriter, David Coep or Kep. <laughs> I
0: don't you know, know why this gets you riled up. This cracks me it, up.
1: <laughs> it gets me so riled up, mm-hmm. okay? While writing the script, he had a fan letter attached to his computer screen from a child that told him that the movie waited too long to show dinosaurs. That they wanted dinosaurs right away. The movie waited too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is terrible advice. <laughs> like, he took this advice to heart when applying it to this movie. Yeah. And David kept, you're a grown adult. You went to college for screenwriting. Don't take screenwriting advice from a child. Uh, I don't know why this gets me upset. It's just
0: like, I don't know David why because I heard that fact, and I was like, ah, he wants to make sure that, you know, he's appeasing his young audience and doing it for them because it can be a grind or whatever and you're like screw you (laughs) screw you do a better job (laughs) it's because
1: first of all that first movie wasn't for kids it just wasn't like it kind of It terrified me i don't know
0: it wasn't for young kids
1: But it's like, he just like, he was like, what was good about the first movie? What if I threw it all away to take advice from a child? Yeah. The child was wrong. Yeah. The child was wrong.
0: (laughs) Okay. Let's talk. Let's actually talk about this story. So, um, David, what did you think about the story overall? Yeah,
1: overall, both for the movie and for the book, it was just less enjoyable for me. And I think it has to do with two main reasons for me. I think... The characters, although there are some good ones, you know, there's some good new characters that I enjoyed, a recurring one that I really loved, but I can't remember the character traits for like half of these characters. Yeah. So they're just less interesting overall. And I felt like it just had less to say. I, I think the first uh, book and movie was- had such a clear message in what it was trying to tell the audience. Yeah whereas this as Steven Spielberg said it it felt like a big silent roar movie and book mm-hmm. which i think for the book i think michael crichton tries to do a little bit more so i'm a little bit more forgiving for the movie it's just like for me a little irredeemable not I, to spoil it but i
0: would disagree on that point um i think it's definitely like i don't know if it's a successful sequel i think and especially today when so many things have a sequel, I think we've gotten more critical of sequels and we want very specific things from them. Um, you know, this was written during a time where not a lot of books especially did have sequels or even movies for that matter. So, yeah, um, I think, you know, for I think Michael Crichton was trying to say things. You know, the big point of Jurassic Park was the theme life finds a way. You know, it's said a whole bunch of times. That's kind of what all the tension is based around. And in the second one, he's really talking from the basically the first page to the last page. Um, you know, if life finds a way, then why do species go extinct? What causes that? And I think that's just like it's too – you know, life finds a way is something that's very easy for us as like in our everyday lives. Like it speaks to like our humanity in a way. Whereas yeah. like the question of extinction – doesn't super do that it's a little bit more like scientific it's not something that we like experience regularly and so I think it was it was a more it was a more muddled point that he was making
1: yes I could see how the movie producers would be reluctant to yeah. install a theme that was basically like why do we all die in the yeah, end <laughs> it's a little bit of a a bummer, yeah, not the like
0: family-friendly action adventure that they had the first time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, saying that, I like still did love a lot of the action in both. Mm-hmm. The way I like to look at it is the original Jurassic Park, both movie and book, is like the movie Alien. Okay, suspenseful, a little bit of horror, very slow moving. While Jurassic, I'm sorry, Lost World colon Jurassic Park. Both the movie and the book feel a lot like aliens. It's a lot more action and plot driven. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I just think that they didn't play into those genre tropes and embrace it as much as they should have.
0: I get that. I also think that, um, you know, in both, you know, the things that I enjoyed in Michael Crichton's book um, were overshadowed by, honestly, Ian Malcolm being back. I think he makes for a bad protagonist. I think that the charm of him in the first one is that he's in both the movie and the book is that he's so aloof and like disconnected and can like, is basically like the unbiased observer, right? Commenting on what's happening and helping figure out like why things are happening the way they are. And Michael Crichton tries to like repeat that in the second one. And it's less effective because he – is the only main character we don't have like an Alan Grant to kind of fall back on to be like the heart of the book um we just have Ian Malcolm, and he just like in the first one he gets injured halfway through and then becomes useless and it's even more frustrating in the in the movie because he's supposed to be a boyfriend and a dad, and it just makes him look like a bad version of both those
1: <laughs> yep for the most of the movie and the book I was like. Why would Ian Malcolm want to be here? Because in the first book, like, he wasn't even there for the dinosaurs in the book. Right. He was just there to evaluate the risk of the park. And so coming into this, I was like, did Ian suddenly, like, almost die from dinosaurs? And that made him love dinosaurs? Like, what's going on here? So it just felt weird that he was in this story at all. It should have either been based all around sarah harding mm-hmm.
0: who i think we can agree that we love yeah. her she's, she's incredible. great especially in the book she's a little bit more frustrating in the movie but still probably should have been the protagonist of that movie
1: exactly because ian malcolm has no reason to be there yeah. at all well and like yeah.
0: even Yes, I think it's the character. I also think it's a little bit of Jeff Goldblum. Like, Jeff Goldblum is good when he gets to play off of somebody. That's why he's always paired up with a big personality, and he doesn't have that in this movie. And I think it really it, – it makes him more irritating rather than charming, which I didn't – I love Jeff Goldblum, so more Goldblum the better. But if he has nobody to play off of, it's just him, it's not great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff Goldblum-isms in a vacuum. Yeah, Aren't as
0: great. Yeah. yeah, He really needs somebody to play off of.
1: Agreed. But uh, let's jump a little bit more into the book specifically. What are some big things that you just really enjoyed about the book?
0: Um, I think Michael Crichton is a master, of course, at tension and suspense. Even some of the more boring science-y mysteries that he places throughout the book I was really invested in. Like I really yeah. wanted to know why certain dinosaurs were acting one way or why the lab base that they were on, why things were functioning a certain way. Like I loved every mystery he laid out and I was just like, give it to me. Give me the answers. Give me it. Michael." Like, okay. So yeah. I think he did really good. There was tons of very tense scenes throughout, um, throughout the book. You know, they set up this premise where they're on this Island and there's, is essentially, it's Jurassic Park 1, but without the fences. So at any time, the dinosaurs can come out. And so he does a good job of them being there for, I think, a day and a half or something like that, where basically they mm-hmm. they fall into like a sense of security where they're like, okay, if we just stay in these areas, we'll be safe if we just stay in this hideaway tent in the trees will be totally safe. If we just do these things, we'll be totally fine. And then Michael Crichton slowly dismantles those things. And so I think that is just speaks to him as being a strong writer. And I enjoyed all those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And my favorite part of the book is just exploring the world a ton more. Mm -hmm. Like, I enjoyed the section of the book when they're just exploring the InGen laboratory way too much. Yeah. Uh, even though it was essentially like everything we told you in the last book in the lab was a lie. Mm-hmm. It made like the hatchery part of the book like a little weird because it's like, why yeah, would you have many eggs there? But whatever. But yeah.
0: yeah.
1: It's basically like a show. But I do like the idea that they did not make like a couple hundred dinosaurs. They made thousands of dinosaurs because so many had died. Mm -hmm. They go through like the uh, some of the terrible diseases and hardships with like creating dinosaurs from dna mm-hmm. and how crazy that process was i loved that entire sequence and i could have spent forever just learning more and more about Ingen's yeah. secrets yeah i
0: wish i wish it had been which is a little bit why i think that sarah should have been the main character i wish it had been somebody who didn't know anything about the first book really um or anything about an Ingen, basically finding this lab and trying to figure out what happened to it because I think it would have created some good tension because we knew some things, but we didn't know everything. You know, we don't, we don't really know what site B was used for. And I agree. I really wanted to know more about it.
1: Yeah. It would have been interesting if let's say they got rid of Ian Malcolm and then you saw people like Thorne or Eddie or Sarah Harding exploring these places and being like, I wonder what this was for. But you as a smart reader would be like, Oh, I know what that's for. And then you feel nice and special because Michael Crichton left something just for yeah. you. Uh, it felt weird, too, because Ian Malcolm really didn't insert any input no. on the dinosaurs often. Like, he was just as useless yeah. in defending against dinosaurs in this yeah. story than he was <laughs> as he was in the last well, in one.
0: Yes. Yeah, in the book... <laughs> Uh, there's another character named Richard Levine who is the scientist and kind of like the Grant Alan Grant stand-in who essentially sets off the plot of the book where he – he goes to the island. He He's suspicious that there is a sight bee. And he finally finds it on this island and just goes there kind of spur of the moment because he feels like people are following him and it's his only chance. And so he goes there and the rest of the book is really a rescue mission to get him off this island. And um, he's the paleontologist that knows everything about the dinosaurs. So he's like our fact guy. And since they remove him from the movie, there's this weird vacuum where Sarah Harding is supposed to be like the new paleontologist, but she's really bad at it. And so Ian Malcolm is spurting all of these like dinosaur facts and we're like, hold on, when did you go to dinosaur school in the last five minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one
1: thing I had like this big section of my nitpicks that I actually like cut, but I will just say this one last thing where it's like there are way too many like dinosaur experts that don't know. Like, anything about dinosaurs, because I've technically <laughs> never seen them. And I was like, how does this dude know the tracks to yeah. dinosaurs and knows, like, all this crap about them, but has never seen one until yeah, now? Yeah, that's pretty
0: funny. That does happen a lot. Um, I did say, so, a couple more things that I loved about the books. I thought the characters, uh, the new characters they introduced or grew were pretty memorable. So, I know that you said that they didn't have, like, a ton of... I kept on getting like a couple of people mixed up. So I agree with you on that. There was a couple that were really good though. Like I think Sarah Harding was amazing in the book. She's so interesting. She's, she's an animal behaviorist or something like that where she studies predators like she like hangs out with lions by herself in Africa and stuff. That's like the basic, that's like her introduction to her character. And then it was she amazing comes yeah. and survives on her own on this Island before she meets up with everybody. And she basically drives like the conclusion of this book. And I think she's fantastic. So I loved her character in the book. Yeah. She's like
1: a weird mix of Tom Cruise and MacGyver. Yes. And it was like her scenes. Originally, I was very bored of them because I'm like, why are we stepping away from the dinosaurs to follow this yeah. chick? And then she ended up having a way more interesting action-packed story than everybody yeah. else.
0: She was like a the Furiosa version of, in Jurassic Park, like that character. Oh, my gosh. What if Charlize
1: Theron did I, this? That would, oh. <laughs> that would have been did you say very, very, very good. Oh. That would have been very, very good. Oh, my gosh. That's all that, I want now, Amanda. Later. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, uh,
1: I was so satisfied with Julianne Moore until you said that. She, she,
0: Julianne Moore did a fair job. And even, like, I knew Julianne Moore played her in the movie. So even when I was reading the book, because I haven't read it, this was the first time I read it, I was picturing her as Julianne Moore, even though her description didn't quite match. So I still think Julianne Moore did a good job. Part of me does kind of wish Charlize Theron did the job. Yeah, that's all I want. It would have had to have been a very different movie, though. Yeah. It would have. Um, so... Sarah was great. Dodgson in the book is such a good villain. It's it's so satisfying when he dies because he's so evil. From like, he's he's super yeah. evil. He's super irredeemable.
1: Yet. I love that they brought him back. You know, he was like casually mentioned as being like this evil scientist in the last. He was the, guy, the, he was the book. guy
0: who met with. Um. Oh my gosh, what is his name? Nedry. Nedry, thank you. Uh, he met with Nedry to pay him off in the first book. And there's one mention of him basically being willing to experiment on people without their knowledge. And that's all that we get from him in the first book. And then he comes back, be- he sweeps into this book, like, like Cruella Deville, and he is the worst person that you've ever met.
1: He's the evilest of <laughs> yes. evil people. He's the only character that was uh, besides Ian Malcolm, that was really brought back from the first book, and they—he did a great yeah, job uh, expanding on uh, Dachin. I mean, he's pretty one-note evil, uh, but he's the type of one-note evil that anytime I. Any like time
0: he, because there's a bunch of times where he like goes unconscious and then he comes back, and you're like, oh shoot, Dachin's still alive. anytime his his chapters came up, the like the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, and I was like, re- I was ready for whatever was going to happen next.
1: He was fantastic. Yeah.
0: There was one scene, too, that I wanted to mention before we move on to the movie that I wish they had put in the movie. And there's this great scene where um, they're chasing these raptors on a motorbike. Um, And even though it was a little bit like the setup is kind of goofy because they're chasing this kid who's like stuck in a cage that the raptors have stolen. And it's this really goofy, like basketball scene, kind of. It's a
1: very strange, like goose chase through the forest and it at first it felt out of place for me but as the scene developed yeah yeah so there's
0: there's one party that goes after the kid and sarah harding and kelly the girl in there um who's not ian malcolm's daughter in the book um they are on a motorbike chasing down the raptors and kelly has to shoot the raptors in order to bring it down to get like a key from them and there's this part where the raptor chomps down on her gun and she shoots it in the back of the neck and it's so good and i wish they would have put it in the movie
1: (laughs) (laughs) no that scene was incredible and uh, the last hundred pages of this novel are just action-packed i loved it and made me realize you know michael crichton knew that this book was going to be turned Mm -hmm. into a movie and i think there are very clear things especially in the beginning and the middle of the book that they could have cut or could have fast forward but he 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 did the thing for steven spielberg again where he made the scene for him and all he had to do was shoot it it was right there in front of him And he didn't. And one of those scenes for me was the velociraptor scene where they're attacking the like treehouse hidey hole up top. And then there was that cage at the bottom. I love that scene because Eddie's death was super brutal. Yeah,
0: that's where Eddie dies, which is one of the more memorable parts of the book for me.
1: Yeah. And it was super shocking because it was the first time a quote unquote good guy died. Yeah. And so it was shocking. Yeah, for being good. (laughs) And then uh, it's just it kind of did a callback to the last movie, too, where it was going into these velociraptors, like ability to not only think quick, but also to like physically jump really high and attack them. And then there's there was the suspense when what was the boy's name? Um, Arby. Arby falls Mm -hmm. off the hidey hole and Mm -hmm. you think he's dead and <laughs> whenever Michael Crichton leaves it ambiguous on whether or not a kid dies, you freak out. Yeah. <laughs> and that scene, that scene just, I
0: wanted it to be shot so bad. I wanted it to be yeah, shot so bad. Yeah, I know. It, yeah. I, like, I understand some of the, okay. I understand some of the changes they made to the movie. I wish they would have been a little bit more true to the book because the book is very exciting. The last half of the book is super exciting.
1: He just purposely wrote it for a movie because he just knew it and it's just frustrating to see the screenwriter especially because he took screenwriting advice from a child just (laughs) not take any of that into account
0: so that's all about the book what did you think of the movie
1: okay so there's a lot that i don't like about this movie
0: what did you okay No, no, no. Let's, let's boil it down. What did you, because I know we will spend the last half of this, this podcast episode basically ripping this movie apart because it's something else. What did you enjoy about the movie? Okay.
1: So the raptor attack in the grass. I mean, that's, that is considered like one of the most classic scenes, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, same as the rain scene with the trailer, classic Mm -hmm. scene, classic Spielberg tension. It's like one of those moments that you remember, oh, yeah, Steven Spielberg is an incredible director that knows how to direct a slow paced, uh, thoughtful action sequence. I will say that the raptor attack is a lot shorter
0: than I remember. I noticed that, too. For some reason, I thought it was longer or drawn out or like a scene on itself because it cuts between different things as that scene is happening which i think cuts some of the tension but i remember it being longer too i remember being very scared of it and it's only like 90 seconds long
1: (laughs) yeah like not even i thought it spent a lot more time in the grass with like raptors picking them off like one by one Mm -hmm. uh but that didn't really happen it's like you see that overhead shot that's like famous now of the raptors coming through the grass. So it's absolutely good. terrifying. Yeah. And I thought that that shot was actually like 30 seconds, but it's not. It's like 10 or so yeah.
0: seconds. It's just like a shot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just like a real it, it's it. It still lingers longer than most, but it's a lot quicker than I remember. And then the raptors just attack them. Yeah. Uh, so that's saying not as great as my memory had it out to be, but I still enjoyed it. Like, little tiny things that I enjoyed. Ian Malcolm has another line in this movie <laughs> that uh-huh. I had to, like, stop and laugh up. It's when they are climbing up the rope that is set down to them by Eddie during the rain scene, and they're trying to climb up through the trailer. And Jeff Goldblum does a Jeff Goldblumism, where he turns up to <laughs> Sarah Harding, and he's just like, Increase your rate of climb! And... <laughs>
0: There isn't a like a strange way. To it's, such, <laughs> to it's, like,
1: it's like I can't even see Ian Malcolm saying that. That's just like Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum.
0: It feels like the notes for the scene were: I want you to say must go faster, but in a different way. And you can't use those words. But I want everybody to think about that. And they're just like, we'll do 40 takes and whichever one is the best. We'll use that Jeff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wonder if it's just other ad libs of him being like uh, ropeity dope up the rope quicker.
0: <laughs> I wish they had put that one in. That one was, would have been my favorite. That would have been my vote.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, same. Uh, and then my last thing. That I enjoyed. uh, I think the dinosaurs, personally, I think the dinosaurs looked better outside of the Uh terrible stegosaurus scene. Okay, so
0: I saw this in your notes and I was enraged that you had said that (laughs) because I do not believe that at all. But I understand... The problem is that when I think about The Lost World, colon Jurassic Park, I think about the stegosaurus first. I don't think about the other dinosaurs. Like... Y- yes, I think the compies look better. I think those were pretty impressive. I think some of the T-Rex is okay. I feel like we see too much of the T-Rex, maybe that's the problem. I think maybe just running through San Diego is what ruined it for the T-Rex yeah, for me. that's fair. But when I think about like them finding the dinosaurs, I think because it's the first scene that we see them in, you know, the first scene we see them in Jurassic Park are the Brontosauruses like reaching up for leaves. And that's such a good scene. And then the first one in this one is, is the stegosaurus is hanging out by the river and we get the CGI. And then Sarah Harding, for some reason goes up to the babies and we get like a puppet Muppets version of the CGI. And it's very bad and very different. And it's very jarring. And so I think it, that impression, it just sits in my mind much more than the rest of it. Yeah. And I
1: think it's because the differences between puppetry and CGI specifically in that scene was mm-hmm. bad because mm-hmm. in certain parts, it's great. Like the copy scene, that first copy that you see in the opening scene is yeah. a puppet and then it breaks out to CGI. And honestly, it's a little hard to tell.
0: Yes, I would agree with that because I actually that's one of my favorite scenes. So I wrote down, you know, a couple of scenes that I loved from this movie despite what this movie is, one of the scenes that I really loved is actually that opening scene. And it's a scene that they took from the first movie uh, where the little girl finds a compie on the beach and then gets attacked. And I really like, I think it's a really strong opening and I think the dinosaurs looked really good in it.
1: Yeah. I, I, th- I do think the dinosaurs look good, but I just disagree. I just disagree on the scene. And I think it's just,
0: <laughs> I <like the> scene. <laughs>
1: it's just like a combination of one, the rich parents <laughs> We're too rich. And I, love just like- that,
0: I love that Muffy and Bernard Richardson <laughs> are on a cruise somewhere and they're like, they're like, Reginald, take us, take us to that island and cook us up some lobster. And then their bratty kid is like, no, I want a roast beef sandwich and a hangout in the woods. And then she gets attacked by dinosaurs. And I think oh, it's really
1: who, brings, who brings a combination of uh, like lobster and exotic <laughs> fish and roast beef sandwiches
0: and Squid like Island. 20, 20 man servants, then none of them go and follow their kid. None into of the, them. Like, why isn't the there
1: one servant specifically assigned to the child? Where's
0: the nanny slash babysitter? I feel like that's <sighs> standard, but. That should be
1: standard. And not, not only that, <laughs> no, I like the, it. <laughs> when the kid gets attacked by the compy, my first instinct would be to drop the sandwich and run. That's yeah. it. Yeah. They want the sandwich. They clearly yeah. want the sandwich. No, give them I think the they want
0: her. Because I think she drops a piece, though, doesn't she? And they don't really go for it. They're just like, man, I want to gnaw on you.
1: She holds on to that sandwich for <laughs> way too long, though. <laughs> okay, like, my yes. first instinct would be like, oh, weird, weird-ass lizard coming at me. Here's my Sammy. Let me run.
0: Yeah, but any time I see something like that, I'm like, oh, this is just movie tension.
1: I guess no. so. But no. I, I still get mad at the child. I'm like, first of all, that roast beef sandwich doesn't make sense that that it's there. And two, just drop the Sammy, <laughs> girl. Just drop it.
0: I still think I think it set up the tension really nicely for the movie. So I'm glad that they put it in. I'm glad they used it. It was the way the first book opened up. And so it was it was a nice callback for me. I liked that. And I liked um, I can I can feel you disagreeing. <laughs> We're going to move past that point, David.
1: I'll, I'll make my size less audible.
0: <laughs> um, I liked uh, in the movie, the new Muldoon, who I kept calling him. His name is Roland Tembo, and he's like, he's helping them hunt for dinosaurs on the island. Um, he's like a game hunter, and his big goal is to hunt down the male T-Rex, even though the female T-Rex is bigger and would be a bigger prize, but whatever. Um. And he is like he is the only character that has a character arc in this movie, which I loved. He like he's like all about hunting and then he understands the cost of hunting and like living such a like such a cutthroat life. And then he retires at the end and he walks into the distance with a tear that falls down his cheek for his assistant sesh lover who has died by raptors.
1: Yes, but okay. We're gonna disagree on all of our likes for the film, except I for love the him so much there. <laughs> I think I think in terms of like a Muldoon replacement, he did fine. Uh, but I have just like weird problems with him. One, why did you think you could take down a T-rex with a a shoe bullet?
0: Yeah <laughs> with a
1: double barrel shotgun my. No, dude. you're gonna need a lot more than that.
0: He's not a paleontologist. he's just a hunter. Maybe that's but- his lucky gun. I guess, but okay, but, but he does have the best line in the movie, which is when they're they're looking to set up camp and he's talking to Ludlow. Um he says uh he's like, "Let's just Ludlow's like, "Let's just set up here because he's a dumb bad guy." And uh Tembo I wrote this down. Tembo says carnivores carnivores hunt on game trails. Do you want to set up a base camp or a buffet? And I thought that was such a good line. <laughs> so I am. He won me over with that line. He won me over with his character arc. I felt for him when AJ died. So I loved him. I loved his addition.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, is he's I I of all characters. That should have died. It made sense for him to die. He was the he was the I evil like big I, game hunter.
0: Yeah, when I started watching the movie, I was like, "Oh, this is one of the guys that die." Because I was trying to guess who's going to die from the beginning, and he doesn't. And I like that surprise. I had assumed also that he was going to die.
1: Agree so- to disagree. I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get to more I of that in my nitpicks.
0: Um, and then. There are some things in this movie that are, you know, those are things that are genuinely good. There are some things that are very, very bad. And there's some things that are so bad that they become good. And one of those is my favorite scene that I will always laugh at every single time is when the gen guys have set up a midnight teleconference with the people back at home for some as reason. As you do. As you do. Wait and a second. <laughs> quick
1: pause on the timeline for that <laughs> yeah. teleconference. Uh-huh. It's like daytime by them, but it's nighttime.
0: Yeah, at, I don't know.
1: And it, the time difference is only like different. two hours, guys.
0: Yeah, maybe, yeah, because they're literally like off the coast of Costa Rica. And Which I is central do- time. Which is central time. And I assume they were talking to people in San Diego, which is just Pacific. But for some reason, it feels like night and day. But maybe they were talking to, like, investors in China or something like that. Who knows? Whatever. But they have this board meeting, this teleconferencing board meeting that's fantastically 90s and terrible. And Ludlow is going around basically like, this is why we're going to make tons of money and we're in charge of everything. And then a triceratops busts in and kills everybody. And it's so <laughs> good. It it's just so good comes out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere and it's <laughs> wonderful. And I rewound it three times to watch it over again because I enjoyed it every single time. And it <laughs> As the Triceratops has the best comedic timing of anybody in this movie. And oh, I it's it.
1: perfect. Yeah. My favorite part about that scene, too, is like the random dig on the San Diego Chargers. Yes. <laughs> because he's Ludlow is basically like, you know, uh, San Diego is always known for its exotic animals. We have the San Diego Zoo. We have the San Diego Aquarium. And we have the San Diego Chargers.
0: It was, it was like a... <laughs> A weird dig that you didn't know if it's because he hates the Chargers or because he loves the Chargers. So it was a little bit confusing. (laughs) You couldn't tell if he was being genuine or not. It's
1: like, does he really think the San Diego Chargers are good
0: or something? Yeah, I also think it's hard for us because in 2019 we have an idea of who the Chargers are. But this was like, you know, many moons ago. So I don't know what people in the 90s thought about the Chargers and if they feel the same as we do today about them.
1: I don't know. All I mm. it's it, whatever. <laughs> it's the San Diego Chargers.
0: Um okay, so for you between the movie and the book, now that you've consumed both of them, what were the most jarring or surprising changes that they decided to make when adapting this?
1: For me, it's Richard Levine just not being present. You know, we touched on this earlier, but his character drove so much of actual story and plot in the book and him missing in the movie felt like the movie defaulted to some of the beats that it had in the last movie it so quickly went from you know we're on this island to observe animals to a survival story it just like went quickly into that because as soon as the (laughs) triceratops bust through that meeting it now becomes a story of survival rather than uh Richard Levine trying to observe these animals or figure out the mystery of the uh, of the book
0: yeah, there is a switch in the book like that where it stops being like a scientific observation to being hunted by these animals, but because and i wrote I wrote the same thing down too, where it doesn't feel like the tension exists enough in the movie because in the book there's a very odd like it's very gradual but because they had a sense they had a chance to get comfortable they the moment they start getting like hunted is very tense and scary whereas that never really happens in the movie they're always just like Like, they're hunting, and they got, like, those goofy cars that have, like, little seats that pop out, and they got these, like, sticks with hooks on them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, They they spent a lot of time on those dumbass cars, too, where they just, like...
0: Yeah. It looked very uncomfortable to hunt in. I don't know if people actually use those hunting, but it looked... Super uncomfortable and super yeah. dangerous. It looked like it's if you went through dangerous. like a narrow, like trees, like it'd be very difficult to drive next to trees with those.
1: <laughs> it felt like if the driver hit a single bump, that yeah, dude was flying, flying out of the seat. Yes. Yeah. I don't
0: know why they wouldn't have to be honest, I don't know why they wouldn't have just four wheelers. I feel like that would be much easier to hunt people on. But anyway. No. Yeah, the the hunting stuff didn't really do it. I thought it was much more interesting that Dodgson was just trying to steal eggs in order cause because he was working for a different company. He was working for Biosyn in, in the book. And so, like, I had forgotten that those hunters were InGen guys trying to basically take over the company. I thought they were separate. I think this is why I always think that InGen are the bad guys because they, like, they are the bad guys in so many of the movies. I forget yeah. that. That's Hammond's company. And I, I always think that they're two separate companies. Same. So it's... it's- yeah, it's always confusing.
1: It is confusing.
0: Yeah, so I felt a lot of the tension was deflated, um, like you said, because Levine is gone. Um,
1: he also just would have brought this, I think, comedic relief that Jeff Goldblum could have played off of, agreed. because there, you know, uh, such a big part of the original Jurassic Park was the ideological fight between Hammond and Ian Malcolm, and I mm-hmm. think with. Uh, Richard not being there, it gave even less of a reason why Ian would be there. And some of that fighting, which was so interesting in the book, for me at least, was Mm -hmm. just completely absent in the movies.
0: Well, and the the whole premise of the movie, which we haven't even really mentioned yet because it's so like, meh, um, was that Hammond wants these scientists, basically like the cats out of the bag about this island, and he wants... A handful of scientists to go and catalog All of the dinosaurs there And then at the same time In-gen guys are there To capture dinosaurs To put them in a zoo in San Diego And it's just like It doesn't feel like It doesn't feel like those two things Are like opposed enough No and they're it, not It also feels like such a strange thing For Hammond to be like Go and do this When like five minutes ago He was like Let's make buddy so it doesn't like I always forget that that's what this movie's about. And even when he was like pitching it to to Ian Malcolm in the beginning, I'm like, is this a trap? This feels like a trap.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they sort of like Hammond's character did have a redemption arc in the last movie, but he almost went from being this like Over the top Walt Disney capitalist in the last movie that realized the consequences of his actions to being dinosaur Jesus
0: in this movie.
1: (laughs) And it was weird. (laughs) Yes.
0: It was, it reminded me strangely of the new movies where Claire in the first. Of the new movies is like Yeah make money off these dinosaurs I don't even care about people don't evacuate the park And the second one (laughs) She's like we gotta save these animals lives Because they're unique and special And you're just like who are you again (laughs) It's very (laughs) jarring
1: We have to be careful Because as soon as we talk about the new movies We're just gonna fall into a trap (laughs) We're just gonna fall into a trap
0: Uh... Yeah. But let's
1: no. talk about to me and I think everyone who's listening, the most obvious change about this movie and that is the addition of a T-Rex t- scene in San Diego.
0: Yeah. The San Diego scene feels to me like somebody came up with the idea of a dinosaur, somebody was hanging out by a pool with their dog and they'd be like they were like huh, wouldn't it be funny if a dinosaur came in here and just like ate my dog and then like my parents showed up and they started screaming. They'd be so funny. And they're like, like, let's write a movie about that. And that's what this a, movie was. <laughs> but Amanda, that's actually what happened.
1: <laughs> Steven Spielberg was like in his hotel in Hawaii, no. looked out into the pool and said, what if a dinosaur was there? And that's where like the addition of this scene as came soon,
0: As soon as I saw that scene when I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's what they wanted to have happen in this movie. That's all they want. The whole part where like the little kid gets out of bed and it's like, mom and dad, there's a dinosaur in the backyard. And then he like pushes them and the parents are fighting like a nineties couple. And then they see it and then they start screaming and pee their pants and then run away. I was like, that's, that's what they wanted. This, that's what, that's what all the commercials were for this movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. I kind of want to go back and watch a trailer now. Yeah, if if that trailer, was like a big yeah. part of the movie. I
0: you, it's definitely in the trailer. I think the
1: most frustrating part about the San Diego scene is that the movie's over. Like, it's just, it's over, yeah, guys. Like, true. they got off, like, the main struggle of the story was getting off this island. Yeah. And they even had, like, Muldoon be resolved. You know, uh, Malcolm and Sarah seemed to. Be closer together. Ian seems to have a better relationship with his daughter, maybe, after, you know, going through life and death situations, I guess.
0: got his and didn't let Tembo
1: get his prize. You know, all that. Like, everything seems resolved. Completely resolved, yes. And then there's just a T-Rex scene. And it doesn't make any sense why... Ian is there, why Sarah is there. It doesn't even make sense how a T-Rex got off the damn boat and killed it, everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very confusing why like there's a part in the chase where like the police show up and then they just drive away. And I'm like, wouldn't you guys have at least like I don't know, like animal control or something? Like what happens when a uh, animal gets out loose from the zoo? You guys just run away until somebody else comes and deals with it? <laughs>
1: Well, like, what, like, first of all, like, let's say it got out. Totally. A T-Rex is huge. It's ginormous. How can it get in all the little nooks and crannies of the boat? Yeah. Like, what if some dude was just, like, sleeping in his room? Or, you know, how could they get into the captain's chamber without breaking it or destroying (laughs) it completely? That's
0: a very good point. (laughs) No, okay, so my favorite part of the entire San Diego scene is... I have two of them. So the first one is when, before the boat shows up in San Diego, it's nighttime. They're having a nighttime press conference, which is their favorite thing to do. And (laughs) they're all like, they're all like, we have this dangerous animal coming from another country. Let's get all the press together before we even like transfer it to like a livable habitat, just like you do when you own a business. Mm
1: -hmm. And,
0: Um, They're all standing in like the command center for like the docks or whatever. And you see the sonar radar thing and the boat is speeding at top speed towards them. And they're like, boat, boat, slow down. Boat, can you hear us? And they're like, I don't think they can hear us. They keep, they're they coming. At you. Boat, boat, can you hear us? You're coming straight at us. Top speed. You're not slowing down. You're like five feet away from us. I don't think I don't think they can. What's going on They They must have they must be in the toilet or something. Boat, <laughs> boat, can you slow down, please? And then they all just stand there. And then the boat crashes into them and kills them all. <laughs>
1: Bill, get off the toilet. (laughs) Bill, I know you're in there. Come on, Bill, get out. Bill, that's not funny. (laughs) Bill, don't do this to us (laughs) again. Come on, Bill. Get back
0: to the uh, controls. It's it's just the most, why you guys work there for your lives. Why (laughs) would you stand there and let yourself get killed by this boat? And then Ludlow, the big bad guy of the movie, is the only one who knows what's happening. And so he starts running away very quickly in, like, the two seconds before the boat hits. Totally fine. He gets up later. Totally fine from the wreckage. Amazing.
1: Makes a zero. Also, Ludlow, I didn't think about this until now, he, like, gets up, like, way later. Like, as if he was knocked out and then came back to in, like, two or three hours. No blood, completely fine. Yeah. Whatever.
0: So my, my second favorite part is when they when sarah and ian bust into the ingen place and yell at two guards basically to get the baby t-rex and they're like if we just take the baby t-rex back to the boat the big t-rex will follow it and we will stay in the boat and we can just push it off gently back into the ocean and they are driving their car and the t-rex is chasing them actively chasing them and they're like oh we just have to go past this this warehouse <laughs> to the other side and so they drive through it and Sarah Harding's like do you think we lost him do you think the t-rex is still coming and then the t-rex like busts through the wall and breaks it down I'm like you haven't seen the t-rex for 10 seconds Sarah where do you think it went it's following you (laughs) so those two were my two favorites and then they do it and then it's the end of
1: that. yeah one thing that I I don't know if I love or not because I was watching it and I laughed but the more I think about it the weirder I feel about it <laughs> is like the entire scene when the T-Rex is like running through the town of San Diego, which looks honestly doesn't look like San Diego. It looks like a it small does, it like. It looks like a suburb. Town. Yeah, it looks like some suburb. Whatever. Uh,
0: Maybe that's what San Diego looks like. Sorry, San sorry, Diego. Sorry, San Diego. We don't know what you look like.
1: I don't know. You're a city.
0: I feel like if they wanted to do it in a big city, they should have done it with like. Like a noticeable monument behind.
1: I had this weird memory where I thought it took place in New York. I thought, I for sure thought it took place in New York. Maybe we're thinking of a different movie.
0: Maybe we're thinking of Godzilla. (laughs) With speaking Mandy
1: of <laughs> Speaking of Godzilla, there's like a part in the movie where the T-Rex is going through town and oh. there's all these like weird like yeah. tongue in cheek jokes. There's one made where me roll
0: my eyes every single time they do. Yeah, it.
1: there's one where like, you know, some Japanese people are running away. It looks like Godzilla. Ha ha ha. Uh-huh. Uh, there's another scene that like I think I think back now and I actually kind of laugh, but there's like this weird brutal scene with a screenwriter David uh Cope who we have been brutally tearing apart this entire time it's like this weird scene where he just gets eaten trying to get into a blockbuster and like now I laugh because I think he messed up with his movie but also like (laughs) why is this included why is this here
0: it is very like the T-Rex doesn't kill anybody but he specifically stops at blockbuster to tear this one guy apart (laughs) (laughs) yes okay so now that we've talked about many many things that have happened in both movie and the book what was your favorite death of Lost World colon Jurassic Park? So,
1: uh, honestly, there isn't a lot of movie or. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give one from the book, and I'm gonna give one from the movie. So we like
0: have the same favorites. So go ahead. I think I
1: think so. Uh, for the movie, actually, it's gonna be. Um, uh it's going to be like a really weird off-handed death and it kind of it kind of made me laugh and that's why and it's when they are hiding in the waterfall and the weird <laughs> hippie scientist is with them i guess <laughs> in the movie like it made me it made me laugh i guess like again i don't really like a lot of the deaths in The movie to be honest yeah Uh, but this one was just like one that made me giggle i guess and they're all like hiding behind this waterfall and it is a uh, scene from the original jurassic park that they took where originally the kids were behind the waterfall and the t-rex was trying to get them but his little snout is too big so he sticks his tongue out to try to grab them in uh they just sort of do this scene from that book but a little bit less well done in my opinion and this hippie scientist is hiding out there with them
0: i call and... him hippie scientist too i don't remember what his name is but in my notes he was hippie scientist yeah, he's just a
1: hippie scientist to me <laughs> uh hippie apparently big dino expert even though he's never seen dinos before <laughs> but so uh The T-Rex doesn't get them. He just licks them with their gross tongue. And then out of nowhere, (laughs) hippie scientist finds a snake in his shirt. And in that moment, the snake is more scary than the T-Rex outside. (laughs) He starts patting his shirt and freaking out and then he gets eaten.
0: (laughs) Yeah, somehow the dinosaur on the other side of the the waterfall knew.
1: He just snatches him up like a little bird and like grabs him. It's so funny. Yeah, it's
0: pretty (laughs) good. My movie death. I don't know, because I didn't, I didn't like the compie death very much. Um, I thought the, like, the raptors in the grass deaths were good, even though we didn't super see them. Um, Ludlow's death was okay. I really like it, it pulled on my heartstrings when Eddie died. And that's not – and is I think a li- not necessarily just because of the movie. I mean in the movie he has a very big scene where he's saving them from the trailer that's going over the cliff. And he's doing a lot of back and forth where he's tying up a rope. Then he's got like the car pulling the trailer and then he's running and then it's not far enough. And then all this happens and then the T-Rexes come and literally rip him in half. And it's so – sad. And then everybody so forgets it. They have like a line about it and then everybody just forgets about it the rest of the time.
1: Yeah. I think I do enjoy Eddie's death in the book. Like that was my favorite book death. Uh, mostly because of how effective it is having a good guy die. And I think yeah, one of the reasons he sad. died is his stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> because he in the book he brings the baby T-Rex back instead of just yeah, killing it.
0: Who does it? Mm-hmm.
1: So his death in the book was particularly tragic and effective for me and they tend to draw it out a lot because Michael Crichton keeps mentioning that the velociraptors have brought his like flesh and bones yeah. back to their den and yeah. like Thorne recognizes it and mentions yeah. it. And I was like Ugh. it was it was chilling.
0: Yeah, I was I was super because in the book Eddie dies saving the kids from the velociraptors and he falls over the side of like some scaffolding and yeah, they just tear him apart and then they're carrying his body around like throughout the book. And it's so sad. It's
1: so sad. So
0: (laughs) So that was, it pulled on my heartstrings because I loved Eddie in the book and I loved Eddie in the movie. And it was very sad when he died in both. It was, um, I do think my favorite death, which wasn't in the movie, unfortunately big miss on their part. Um, it was kind of in the movie because they, like, redid it for Ludlow basically at the end. But Dodgson's death in the book is so it's good. It's so, so brutal. So brutal. So basically um, they have – I mean he's in the in the book. So it's a bunch, a bunch of different stuff. He's traveling to the island to steal eggs and he has, like, one assistant guy. And basically Sarah hitches a ride with them on the boat – Um, as soon as he realizes who she is, he wants to get rid of her. And so he throws her over the side of the boat as they head to the island and she miraculously survives. And so they really become like the opposing forces. Again, that's why she should have been the protagonist of this book. Um, but it's basically them against like them outwitting each other throughout the rest yeah. of the week. And there's this horrible part at the very, very end where they're both underneath a Jeep and it's muddy. And the T Rexes are coming to that area. And she braces herself against a wheel and with her legs slowly, put very slowly, pushes him out from underneath the car. And the T Rex comes and plucks them out. And it's so brutal and so scary. <laughs> and I loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: i'll be honest the first time i read it 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 took me back a little bit because this essentially is the first time a human character has murdered another one technically dodgson tried to do it with sarah which is yeah. why i guess quote unquote morally it, i felt a little better after i thought about it yeah she straight up murdered him and yeah. i think something i actually forgot is that he doesn't die right away when the t-rex picks him up underneath the car he takes him back to their t-rex den mm-hmm. where the mom and the dad t-rex are there with the little baby mm-hmm. the t-rexes break his leg yeah. so that the tiny baby t-rex can learn how to hunt and it's also like uh, Michael Crichton set that up earlier, like he mentioned. T Rex is training their young, yes. and then he becomes that later. Oh, it was so. And um, then
0: didn't like when they were stealing the T Rex eggs. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Dodgson, Isn't he the one who stepped on the baby T Rex and broke its leg too?
1: Am mm, I correct? No, was no? That, the that was the other character.
0: Okay, well, he's basically like the cause of. It's like this really interesting, like nature parallel, like nature parallel hunter prey thing between them because for the first part Dodgson is the hunter and then the second part he very clearly becomes the prey
1: <laughs> it was it was so brutal and very slow great. and terrifying
0: yeah and I loved it, <laughs> it I thought it was, it was very gray. narratively I thought it was very very satisfying I agree morally very gray but very, very, satisfying. very <laughs> gray. <laughs> yeah I kind of
1: Kind of brought a damper down on <laughs> the hero <laughs> that is Sarah Harding. She straight up murders that fool. I loved it.
0: Um, Okay, so how would you, if you had a chance to, how would you change the story? So,
1: I have a lot written down. That's more, more so what I would change specifically about the movie because there's some things I would change about the book, but I mostly want to talk about what I would change in the movie because they do three unimaginable things in this movie that not only ruin this movie, but ruin every single Jurassic Park movie after this. Uh-huh. And so I want to get into those things because okay. I think this movie ruined all the future movies and why I dislike all of them. So uh, the first one is inexcusable for me. <laughs> and that is that they misuse John Williams' main theme. In the beginning of this movie, they instead of using the main theme like they did in the last movie, where they first see the Bronchiosaurus and the, the time they're fl- they're flying through this epic uh like island and it's beautiful and it's, it's super it's emotional. It's emotional, okay? Yeah. Like the point of John Williams' music is it it excites like a certain emotion out of you, and he's so effective at that. Yeah. The first time they use the main theme in this movie is in an office. It is when, (laughs) it is when Hammond is talking to Ian. Yeah. Uh, it's when Hammond is talking to Ian. Ian Mm. agrees to, uh, go to the island for Hammond. He's all happy about it. And then the main theme plays and it's just a long take of Hammond walking.
0: Yeah, I do remember because you mentioned that to me and I very specifically remember watching that part and being like, huh, that's weird.
1: Yeah, <laughs> because your your unconscious mind is being like,
0: oh, something amazing is happening. It's and instead not. you're seeing
1: an old man salter across the room.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's uh. very... It's it feels very out of place, yeah.
1: Yes. So the first thing they needed to change is using John Williams' Perfect Score correctly.
0: Yeah, he okay. does he does all the work for you. All you need to do is use it the right way. You just had to put it in the right place, guys. Yeah. Don't don't mis- don't disrespect John that way. Come on. Come on. He's Come a national on. treasure.
1: I love John. Yeah. Uh, the second thing, the thing that like most stood out to me was bad dinosaur reactions (laughs) the first time eddie in the movie sees a dinosaur he i i i rewind this because it was so funny he says the following oh yikes wow in like a monotone (laughs) not really exciting way like you are seeing sources for the first time in your life dinosaurs are real buddy guess what Alan you know, Grant got it on his knees and started crying. And yeah. you're just like, ooh, yikes.
0: I didn't mind it that much. I think the miss was that, you know, Eddie is just like a weapons guy. So it's like just some dude seeing dinosaurs. And maybe Eddie is a very introverted guy and doesn't, isn't very. But I think the miss was that we didn't see like Sarah seeing them for the first time. You know, mm-hmm. she's supposed to be the paleontologist, but because she's been on the island now for a couple of days by herself also implausible but because she's already been on the island for a couple days by herself we she's like already used to being around dinosaurs and so we don't get that same like huge reaction like we did from ellie and grant in the first movie and it's very noticeable like it's a noticeable difference
1: absolutely they're supposed to be uh like reflective of what we're supposed to feel right and so when you know ellie was terrified in the first movie, I was freaking out when mm-hmm. she was crying because she saw a bronchiosaurus. I wanted to go into tears. Yeah. In this movie, there's none of that. Like all these reactions seem muted. And I don't know if it's because they just shot it quickly or what it was or maybe the, you know, uh, the, maybe the
0: characters were just too cool.
1: Maybe they were just too. Maybe Vince was just way too cool. Yeah. Too cool for school.
0: Or like nothing phases me. Even extinct dinosaurs suddenly roaming the earth in front of me. In fact, I'm going to go touch one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The last thing, and it is something that I feel like a hypocrite for saying, (laughs) that we just went through the section where we talked about our favorite deaths. But uh, I'll defend myself in that because the third biggest problem in this movie that gets repeated in all the others is killing off people in extremely gruesome and unnecessary ways. Yeah.
0: I really didn't like the compie scene. I know that like – it just goes on forever and it's not good.
1: Yes. This is the compie scene in the movie when um, the dumb assistant to Ludlow, who is supposed to be like the tough guy, uh, gets lost from the group, gets because caught by a bunch he, of compies he who he do little tiny the bathroom, something.
0: like three miles yeah. away from the site.
1: And ask the dude who very clearly wasn't paying attention to him to pay attention to him, yeah. even though there's hundreds of other people in this forest who could pay attention to him.
0: I really feel uh, like if you're going through a uncharted territory with dangerous carnivores about, you have a buddy system of some kind. You have a
1: pee buddy? Yeah. Yeah, he should have a pee buddy. Yeah. Uh, also, dude, you're peeing. You don't need to, like, go to the back part of the woods to pee.
0: I mean, he's really, uh, really private. I mean, mm,
1: fine. <laughs> Whatever, uh, but in the movies they've started this trend of just killing people in very gruesome ways. That reminds me of like a Saw movie or something. Yeah, it's like, like Eddie. Yeah, yeah. Eddie didn't have to die that way. He didn't it's have like, to get ripped in half.
0: They didn't even no, eat was- him. They just ripped him in half and ran away. It was super gruesome. It was
1: unnecessary. And I think it's because in the first movie, it's like all of the funny deaths are kind of callbacks to Gennaro dying on the toilet. It's like, ha, ha, ha. That was a good laugh. Yeah. Uh, He was a coward. He gets to die in a very humiliating way. Cool. Uh, But they just took that to the extreme in all the other movies. So there's like Gennaro, heck, David, the screenwriter's death in front of Blockbuster. Like Any deaths are super gruesome now. And you see these in the future movies, like in... Jurassic uh, World when the annoying kids have an annoying babysitter and then she dies in like a two-minute one. She was just doing her job. She was just doing her job. And yes, guess what? I meet jerks all the time. (laughs) I don't want them to get tortured by dinosaurs. Yeah. It feels uh, exploitative. What am I trying to say? It feels just – particularly morally gray for me to enjoy and i just can't get behind it and now they do it in every movie there's some crazy gruesome death and um, they just don't need that
0: it's less satisfying when it doesn't feel like you know that character i guess um like when nedry died we knew exactly who he was even when arnold died who I would say, is the person who didn't deserve to die in the first movie, Um, you feel his death because you kind of know who he is. At least you know like a handful of characteristics about him, enough to care about him. And I feel like that doesn't happen anywhere past that first movie. Yeah,
1: and in the first movie too, when someone dies, I would say – the only one that may not apply to is Arnold. I'd say it applies to in the book, but it doesn't apply to in the movie. Mm-hmm. For example, when Muldoon dies in the first movie, it's because he's outsmarted by these velociraptors. Which is satisfying. And it's a very satisfying scene. It's like, oh, dang.
0: Mm-hmm. Clever
1: girl. You're right. Yeah. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so I would get rid of the gruesome and unnecessary deaths because they take me out of the movie and make me feel like a psychopath. for Yeah. <laughs>
0: I get that. Um, so it was it was hard for me to think about how I would change the story. I mean, like I said, I think the biggest change would be shifting who the protagonist is. Um, Agreed. And having – but I would – you know, if Sarah's the protagonist, I would want her direct antagonist, Dodgson, to also be in the movie. So I think it would just end up changing a lot of things. Um and, like we've said, we kind of we kind of get why they didn't go with like the theme of extinction. But I think if it was just like a mystery to solve on a creepy island that's been overtaken by dinosaurs, I'd show up for that movie all day. So, yeah. like here's what here's what I wanted more of. I wanted more investigating the abandoned lab. I wanted dinosaurs that seemed harmless that were really hunting people. I wanted clever ways of hiding from dinosaurs and more mystery. If we had more of that, I would have enjoyed both the movie and the book better. Um, And here are things I wanted less of. San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) The
1: the entire city.
0: Just the entire city. Um, Ludlow. I thought he was a very ineffective bad guy. He... His actor looked almost indistinguishable from AJ, who is, um, Tembo's assistant who dies. Yeah. When when they were in scenes together, I could not figure out who was who. And when they were talking to Tembo, it was very difficult to remember who was who, um, AJ is, is, has a darker complexion and that's pretty much the only difference between them. (laughs) And it is very slight and they are in the dark a lot. So it was very difficult for me to tell them the difference. Um, I wanted less of telling people not to interact with dinosaurs and then touching dinosaurs. That happened so often, and it made me mad.
1: Sarah Harding is an idiot.
0: A little bit. There's this – I lost my mind when she had blood, T-Rex blood, all over her, and she had just been arguing with them about how a T-Rex can hunt them from – she believed, like, the olfactory whatever part of his brain – that in a T-Rex was so strong he could hunt basically like a shark. A shark hunts people through blood and water from miles away. So why wouldn't you wash all the blood off of your shirt, Sarah? Just kept it there, you you know? guys walk past like five streams. Just leave leave the vest behind, Sarah. You're not even using the pocket. It's really humid out. You don't need that vest. It was it was such a convoluted conflict to get like the the T-Rex to hunt them basically. And I hated it so much. If anybody knew not to be covered in blood, it would have been Sarah Harding. I don't know why. Just have it be on somebody. Have it be on the kid. That's why you have the kid there to do dumb kid stuff.
1: Yep. And even more so like in the book, Sarah Harding is a little bit smarter, a little bit more brutal. She's the one that's just like kill the baby t-rex with the broken leg we don't need that crap and then eddie brings the t-rex back because he has a heart unbelievable yeah in the movie it's just like sarah you're an idiot you're bringing you're interacting with all these babies right in front of their parents i don't know why and bringing back baby dinosaurs it's like you study predators you should know better okay Okay.
0: Okay. so i have a fan theory for this movie do you want to hear it
1: Okay, yeah, let's go for it.
0: Um so when I was writing up my nitpicks, I noticed a lot of them were surrounding Nick Van Owen. So there's a Yeah, yeah, Vince of, Vaughn. Yeah, Vince Vaughn's character um who is not in the book that they created to put in this movie, which was wild to me. absolutely. A made up character
1: just to include my, Vince Vaughn.
0: Spielberg loved Vince Vaughn that much that he made up a character and a profession in order for him to be in this movie, which was wild.
1: He saw Swingers and said, I gotta have that. Him. I gotta he, have
0: he's that. He's going to make Jurassic Park... I'm sorry, Lost World, Colin Jurassic Park, a good movie.
1: So- You're going to be a star, Vince. You're going to be a star.
0: <laughs> and he did. Um, <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of stuff with him. He claims not to know he is taking pictures of dinosaurs until he sees one, which is wild. Um, he gives Sarah the camera that goes off and triggers the stegosauruses to stampede them. He is the one who brings back the baby T-Rex to the trailer. Um, he also gets them to go to the campsite and release all the dinosaurs that kills everybody and gets rid of the one, uh, satellite that actually works to get them off the island. Uh, he doesn't answer the phone when Ian Malcolm is calling them about the T-Rex coming to the trailer.
1: Drove me crazy. Which
0: is crazy. Uh, who would be calling you guys? It's not spam. It's important.
1: (laughs) Hi, this, uh, we need to talk about your life insurance. Okay. Whatever. (laughs)
0: Um, He takes the bullet out of the gun So Tembo can't shoot the T-Rex When it attacks their camp later He leads them all into the raptor infested Lab Um, And then something interesting happens He just disappears from the movie And then all these murders happen on the boat That is blamed on the T-Rex But the T-Rex couldn't have really done it What are you trying to say here Amanda? Here is my theory Nick Van Owen is not a cinematographer He's bad at it anyway There's no way he's doing it Also, why would you bring – impossible. It's crazy. He is not a cinematographer. He is working with Hammond because Hammond is secretly a serial killer. That's a theory I had from the first movie. Okay. (laughs) And Nick Van Owen is his protege. And so John Hammond was too sick to go to this island to murder more people in this movie. And so he sent in his stead his protege, Nick Van Owen, who came to the island to kill as many people as humanly possible – before leaving it and he did it he killed so many oh no (laughs) amanda Mm
1: -hmm. he's basically a sith apprentice isn't he john hammond's a sith lord yep he's the sith apprentice and he brought the camera to give hammond photographic proof that he killed people yep that's exactly oh my gosh
0: (laughs) because vince vaughn's a psychopath i I am 100% convinced. That is the only thing that makes sense. Otherwise, Vince Vaughn is just bumbling through this movie, causing people's deaths, and nobody is noticing.
1: It totally makes sense, too, because at the start of the movie, when they're doing like their uh, preparation scene, and every yeah. character gets their like three-sentence narrative on why they exist, um, uh, Vince Vaughn, I I just keep calling him Vince Vaughn because I can't unsee Vince Vaughn. Nick Van Owen Van Vaughn uh, <laughs> is talking, and he's like, "Yeah, the reason I joined the Peace Corps is because there's a lot of hot chicks, so that's why I'm yep. in that's it." That's the only thing
0: we know it. about him. Slash, he's a psychopath. Who yeah, so
1: he like people. very clearly states one thing. Yes, he is. He is in it for himself. And then later in the movie, his character completely changes. He does. He's trying to save the T-Rex. He's trying to be a a preservationist or whatever. And here he is secretly killing
0: people. It mirrors the change that Hammond pretends to make from being an entrepreneur and a businessman in the first movie to being a conservationist in the second movie. And it's almost like he's saying whatever he has to in order to get people to his murder island, which he does successfully. It makes so much times. sense.
1: It makes so much sense. Yeah. What, if, what if they took John Williams' score, put it in a minor key over that scene in the office, yeah. and then everything would become much more ominous I and was, suspicious? I
0: cannot tell you. I was so convinced that Hammond was lying to Ian in the first scene because it doesn't – It didn't make any sense. So I'm like, obviously, this is a trick. And the quote trick that the movie wants you to believe it is, is that unbeknownst to Hammond, he got Sarah Harding, Ian's girlfriend, to go there without Ian knowing. Mm, But is that really or is he trying to murder more people again and he just wants them to team up with Nick Van Owen?
1: Yeah, Vince Van Den, Duke, Owen.
0: Owen, dude.
1: Vince Van Owen. The murderer
0: yeah. of Lost World colon Jurassic Park.
1: This is basically Silence of the Lambs now. Okay. Did, did you notice did
0: you notice Vince's killer instinct the first time you watched this movie?
1: Uh no, but every single nitpick you had, I did write down. <laughs> and I thought I had notes that uh Vince Vaughn uh is an idiot but i still like him because he's vince vaughn but maybe that's his that's how he gets psychopath yeah. killer charm yeah it's just supposed to get you in a false sense of security before he comes like, up behind I you can- and pushes you conveniently into the t-rex's mouth there you go
0: hey i i can trust this guy he's just vince vaughn he handed me this gun oh wait this gun is empty and a t-rex is coming straight for my face so yeah,
1: I can trust Fred Claus. Who couldn't? would? Tra- oh no, wait. you wouldn't trust a uh, little Fred Claus. He's so nice. He's so he's so he's, he's so, so enjoyable. Oh wait, what are you doing over there? Why are you releasing <laughs> the
0: Triceratops, <laughs> Fred Claus? What are you doing? Is it to maybe kill as many people at this campsite as humanly possible? Why, yes. Did he also set up conveniently
1: a bunch of gasoline canisters throughout the camp so no. it could seem like everything was blowing up? Yes, absolutely.
0: That is, <laughs> I am convinced he is the one on that boat. There's no way that a T-Rex snuck into like the captain's cockpit to like kill that guy and then place his hands back onto the wheel. That is a Nick Van Owen move right there, his signature move, leave arms about. Anytime you see arms... <laughs> just dismembered from a body that is nick van owen's signature that's why they're I feel in this movie
1: i feel like you have now given us a new watching experience for all the bad jurassic park movies where if you find in a, a hand not attached to a body like in the captain's seat or on that convenient like button in
0: the background somewhere
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah he's just like in the background chopping hands off and pushing people in di- into dinos yep you're right he is he is he is complete chaos. <laughs> I agree with that,
0: uh so David, would you recommend people read this book, the lost world um
1: yes, with a asterisk that you read the last book and you really wanted to jump into the world again it like I said, it is not as uh Um, theme heavy doesn't have as much to say as the first novel and you know the first novel you're just gonna love much more it also doesn't start on the cliffhanger that they had in the first book which is a little disappointing but it is fun to explore the world again some of the new characters were very interesting and fun to explore and the last 100 pages is an action-filled crazy fest that i really enjoyed so i would say if you wanted more Go for it. Check this book out.
0: Yeah. I do remember because we read these literally back to back and ending Jurassic Park, they were like, you know, there's this great scene where where Grant is talking to um, the guys in charge, who, like the the medical people who are taking care of them. And they're basically like the dinosaurs have gotten loose to the other islands. And I was like, oh, shoot, that's going to be the next book. They're going to be hunting dinosaurs. And then you get to the next book, and it's, like, the first 20% of it, it's just them talking and going to, like, school and, like, something, like, bad guys are, like, kind of, like, watching them, But it doesn't feel very threatening yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The plot sort of meanders a little bit. Yeah. And so I do kind of wish it just started up again where it left off. But also it was still a fun read. And in the end, I, you know, as soon as you get to the point where they're on the island, you read through it very quickly. So, Amanda, would you recommend watching this movie?
0: Hmm. Would I recommend The Lost World: colon, Jurassic Park? I, I think maybe I think it 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 has its place. So it's not a complete trash movie that I would never watch again. Um, I do think like watching it by yourself immediately after Jurassic Park one, you noticed. You notice kind of like the inconsistencies or it feels a little disappointing after what a great experience Jurassic Park one is. Um, I will say that like when I was watching it for this, there was a point like halfway through where my husband came and joined me with it and we were laughing at it and having a good time. And it was much more enjoyable after that part. Like watching it by myself was a little bit meh. But as soon as I got to watch it with somebody else, it was much more enjoyable. So I would say, you know, if you are hanging around, if you want it on like the it's a great background movie because you come in during like the funny parts and kind of check out during the rest of it or if you're watching it with like a group of friends to pick it apart and have fun i would say it's a great movie for something like that
1: yeah i'd agree with you i think i could have really used another person there it's just weird to me because before watching this movie i prepared myself by watching jurassic world colon fallen kingdom oh no why would you do that (laughs) i just like was in the mood for more jurassic stuff and i haven't seen that And that movie is like straight hot garbage if you want my hot take on that. And I thought, all right, if this was hot garbage, I can watch Lost World. And maybe I'll be a little bit more like like, happy about how it turned out. But I was still just as disappointed. So I think you do need another person
0: there. Yeah, I agree. So the one you watched was the one with the volcano.
1: Yeah, it was the volcano guy. uh,
0: Yeah, that was rough. That was a rough one. That was one where I was in the movie theater halfway through and I'm like, why did I spend $16 to watch this movie?
1: (laughs) I would say it is an achievement of the writing team that they somehow made Chris Pratt the most boring human being in all of these movies. I thought it was
0: an achievement of the trailer-making team uh, because they put the entire plot into the trailer. And then we we were all tricked because we're like, oh, there must be more to this story. And then there wasn't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, I was smart. I knew there wasn't more. (laughs) so basically our recommendation for these is check out the book if you wanted more Jurassic stuff and maybe bring your friends over for a good laugh if you end up watching this movie
0: yeah definitely so that'll wrap us up for today thank you so much for listening please subscribe so you can get automatically updated when new episodes come out at wherever you get your podcasts we are brand spanking new so if you enjoyed anything we talked about in the last hour or so uh, please leave us a review and tell your friends
1: you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We are Adapted for Your Viewing Podcast on all of those platforms. Maybe just like search other things. I'm sure you can find us. If we're not mm-hmm. on there, we'll, we'll eventually know. be on there. Sure,
0: wherever yeah. you're listening to this.
1: You can also send us suggestions on what we should talk about by shooting us an email at stuff at yep. uh,
0: So, David, what are we consuming next?
1: Yep, it's my pick still. Yeah. So I am going to pick something that I've always wanted to read. And that is High Fidelity.
0: Ooh, very nice. I will be a complete newbie. I have not seen the movie, even though I've seen some references to it. And I've not read the book. So I'm pretty excited for this one.
1: Yeah, it's fair. I'd be interested to hear your feedback on it. Because I think for me being in the record collecting community, it's sort of like this standard of movie you gotta watch. So should be interesting.
0: So tune in next time to hear all about how we rate that adaptation. Until then, uh, don't forget, never leave your Triceratops without a babysitter while you are (laughs) Skyping your boss in the next room.
1: Yeah, maybe just remember to not have nighttime teleconferences in the middle of the jungle when you're surrounded by dinosaurs.
0: That's probably a good idea. Um, Always remember to uh, answer the phone when you're doing surgery on a baby T-Rex.
1: Always keep your eyes on Vince Fong. You never know what that always dude's going to do.
0: Your well, that's a good one. Always you keep your eyes on Vince Fong. Yeah. Um, always remember, don't make popcorn over an open fire. Put your crackle away before you go to bed.
1: <laughs> always remember to lock the dinosaur extra tight when you're on the boat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> always remember that a dinosaur could slip into the cockpit at any time during your boat ride.
1: <laughs> you're never safe on the boat.
0: Always remember, when a boat is coming at you full speed, it's a good idea to start running (laughs) early rather than later.